This week on CityCast Denver, we've been talking about food because it's Denver Restaurant Week. But opening a restaurant isn't attainable for just anyone with a great recipe and a dream. Like Frank Bonanno told me yesterday, it's really only the big chains and restaurant groups that can afford the startup costs anymore. So what about the little guy? The non-zillionaires among us turn to food trucks. They're cheaper to get going and you can test out a concept before investing in a full-on brick and mortar restaurant. But as my guest today would tell you, there's a lot more to starting a food truck in Denver right now than just hopping on a truck and selling sandwiches. Oh yeah, there was a lot of like slap in the faces. I would like to say, you know, once I open this, I'm like, whoa, okay. I have to do all of these things. Maria Rangel is the woman behind the brand new gordita truck Maiz, which you'll be seeing at Civic Center Eats this summer, and if Maria has her way, in a proper brick and mortar soon. Today is Wednesday, March 16th, 2022. I'm Bree Davies, and this is CityCast Denver. I'm sorry, is it Maria or Maria or what do you prefer? Um, I prefer Maria. Okay, perfect. Well, Maria Rangel, oh boy, I want to make sure I do this right. Okay. You got it. You got it. Yes. Maria Rangel, welcome to CityCast Denver. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. So we're talking to you because it's Denver Restaurant Week and... Something integral to our culinary scene is the food truck, and you just started a brand new one, Maiz. Tell me about your food truck. Well, my food truck just kind of came about because I loved gorditas, and I hadn't really, you know, seen any gorditas out and, you know, in the Denver scene. And, you know, I, I, I started t- throwing the idea around, and my dad, who was the one to really inspire me um, just in cooking in general. Um, He was like, well, you should start a food truck. You know, it's, it's, you know, less overhead, you know, build some capital. And I was like, okay. And so at the time I had been working for Denver Health and I was an EMT and I just wasn't happy. And I just decided to pursue this dream. That's amazing. It's kind of a jump though, to be honest with you, to go from... (laughs) I mean, emergency medicine being an EMT, which you did for like eight years, right? Yes. How did you make that that transition? I just kind of was at a time in my life where I knew that I wasn't going to be a paramedic. Um, you know, nursing school was kind of out of the realm for me. Like it, it wasn't just right there. You know, I have two girls um, and we kind of made it work, you know, where I worked nights, my husband worked days, like we were able to make it work raising our kids. But I just kind of lost the passion. Um, you know, I love working with people and helping people. And that's, you know, how I started in healthcare. Um, but I was kind of losing the passion and I was just very unhappy and I just didn't know where I was going to go, you know, from being an EMT. And so talking it over with my husband, we were in a position where I could, you know, pretty much quit my job and start to, you know, build this business. And that's, it just kind of, we just kind of took the leap, like, you, you know, let's do this.
This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board. Because the wine community here is like surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade. Hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. And you opened Maïs during the pandemic, is that right? I did, yes. I started by, I, I found resources. You know, I one resource was Mikasa Resource Center who offered a business class. Um, and they actually, you know, offered a class specifically towards food trucks. Um, it's called uh, La Receta. Um, and it was just an amazing program. Like I have nothing but good things to say about this program because I went into the class not having anything. Like I didn't even have a name for my business. I just had a concept and that was it. And then I came out with, you know, my state tax, my, I registered my business. I, you know, I had the whole business set up, but I didn't have the truck And then I realized that I made the deal with the devil is how I put it because the guy that I had fabricate my truck kind of put me through the ringer. And so he kind of set me back a a good year, you know, just trying to fight for the title pretty much. Um, And that was, you know, the biggest hurdle just because I was like fighting for my business here you know everything I invested you know I was like losing it before my eyes and so I almost lost hope I'm not gonna lie and say that everything was just great you know but it it wasn't (laughs) but I I wanted it so bad so I fought for it and here it is why didn't you just throw your hands in the air and say okay maybe this is the universe telling me not to do this Well, honestly, I mean, it almost brings tears to my eyes, you know, just thinking. But my daughters, La Riseta, they they set up this whole event, you know, for us to present. And there was a first, second, and third prize that, you know, if you got picked, they would give you this prize money to invest in your business. And I I won the first place. And, you know, I just really believed in, in my dream and my daughters watched the whole thing, you know, they watched everything, you know, they were driving around with me going to see the truck while it was being built. I mean, just they seen everything come to light. And when things got difficult, you know, you have these two little faces looking at you and, and you, at that moment, you know, you could either show them, you could either give up or you can fight for it. And I wasn't going to give up, you know, I just... I fought too hard. My family supported me through this whole thing. And I don't know how quite to say that, but it's just right there. You know, I just needed a little more. And so, yeah, I just kind of, I I, and I, I went through a really dark moment. Like I had a couple of months where I was just lost. And then, you know, it just was like, what are you going to do? Are you going to sit here and just mope around and watch everybody else, you know, living their dream? Or are you going to fight for this? And that's what I decided to do. 
So you, you won first place for your food in this um, competition. Tell me about that first prize dish and, and tell me more about what Maïs offers. So like I said, I, I fell in love with gorditas, which are, they're just small little patties made out of, I choose corn masa. I mean, you can make it out of flour. Um, but the ones that I fell in love were were corn gorditas. And I really believe in like taking food to a level where it can be good and it could be, you know, healthy. And I say that like I deep fry my gorditas, you know, and it's not the most, you know, health conscious thing, but it's something I chose. But I wanted to make sure that everybody could eat my food. And so I stuck to corn, it being gluten free. I also make a vegan green chili. Which is really hard to find. <laughs> and it just kind of happened, you know, um, I had a friend who had a food truck and he, you know, he let me go on his food truck and kind of see how it was working and how he did it. And he didn't put meat in his chili. And it was because, you know, the cost of meat is high. And if you don't use it all, you have to throw it away. So he made his chili without meat just to like cut down the cost. And I was like, that's brilliant, you know. So I started to make this chili with no meat. And I particularly am trying to not eat so much flour, so much gluten. And so I don't use flour in my chili either. So anybody can eat this chili. And, you know, being in Denver, um, growing up here, green chili is everywhere. Like that's what I grew up with. My family, you know, it's a tradition. Um, and so I wanted to bring that to light also. And so if you like visit my Instagram or my website, it's Chicana inspired cuisine with a Colorado twist and it being that the green chili is the twist. So so could you like build a gordita for me? Like how start, from start to finish on the truck, I come up and I order one. Like what's what's one that you're making right now? Because I'm assuming you probably change things out. My biggest seller is my calabacita, which is um, I, I always have fresh cut corn, like nothing comes from the can unless I can't absolutely find it. You know, it, I try to keep things seasonal, um, but I cut the, the corn fresh from the cob and then I cut zucchini and a summer squash. Some people are a little iffy about it, like, mm, I want meat. But once they taste this, you know, they're like, they're pretty amazed of how flavorful it is. I think calabacitas are underrated. Yeah, I think so too. I'm a huge zucchini fan myself. And so it's always a favorite side of mine. Like, but I never thought about it in like an um, entree, like in a gordita. That's a great, oh, that sounds delicious. And I top it with cotija cheese and I make this cilantro lime crema that really just makes it, I think that's the key to the whole thing. Um, so you're a food truck, which means you're kind of all around the city. Where, what kinds of places can folks find you usually? I am still struggling to find a consistent spot, but um, what has been consistent is I've had one brewery, um, Raices Brewery. I joined their rotation in, I think, July, and I've been very lucky enough to, you know, stay there, and that's been my one spot where you know you can find me. Um, and I always try to post my 
locations on my Instagram. And now I have it to where my Instagram posts go to my website. So if people don't have social media, you know, they can go to my website, myeastdenver.com, and my location will be there. But um, during summer and spring, I try to just get out there and find events, farmers markets, um, and I'm just working on other spots. You know, it's always, it's a hustle. It's a hustle. I didn't know I had to be a hustler as well as a, <laughs> as a, a cook and, and all the other things. Yeah. What does that hustle look like for a food truck owner? <laughs> um, well, I mean, it's a lot of prepping, you know, shopping, prepping, and then you have to go out and get your truck ready, you know, filling your propane tank, making sure your water's full, making your, sure your truck is clean, and then going out to your spot. And, you know, it's not like you just show up, you know, I have to be there at least an hour early, and then I have to leave there an hour before that. Um, so a lot of time, definitely a lot of your time. The funnest part is working, you know, is is being at the event and working and serving people and talking to them. Um, and then you have to clean it all up and then you go home and you have to start over. And if you're like me, you know, I'm a mom, I'm a mom and a wife. And so, you know, you have to throw that into the mix as well. And sometimes I'm like, where do I find time for myself? But right now I'm just living the dream. And I think that's I enjoy that the most. Yeah, that's a lot to balance. I'm I'm a new mom. My my son's only nine months old, but it just throws a whole other world into your world that you're already working in. And I can't. I mean, although I, it sounds like your kids are probably, I would think it was pretty cool if my mom had her own food truck. It's I you know I'm sure <laughs> they have good things to say, um, but I definitely I think the biggest thing I struggle with is mom guilt. You know, leaving them and. Mm-hmm. I have an amazing support system. You know, my my family is amazing. But if I have to take them somewhere, it's like it's not one day. It could be two days. You know, they're spending the night. And I think that's the biggest thing for me is mom guilt, you know, not being there for my kids. Yeah. But you're providing for them and you're also showing them how to be in the world. Yeah. And I tell myself it's only temporary, you know, it's only temporary until I can really get get it going and, you know, have some consistency and, and hire, you know, employees. And, and that's things that I'm definitely looking forward to. But I'm putting in my time right now. Definitely putting in my time, paying my dues. <laughs> I know you mentioned that your dad was really part of your inspiration for cooking and bringing it to other people, to the community. What does your dad think about mice? <laughs> Well, um, I would say that he's probably proud. I'm sorry. No, don't be sorry. I just think, um, you know, he raised me on his own. And um, like I said, he's been my inspiration. And I think about his cooking so much because, you know, as a single parent, you, you don't have a lot of money. And so you have to cook, you know, you have to provide for your for your kids and I just always remember him being in the kitchen and cooking like and I'm sure I'm biased but it's the most delicious meals and eating them you just feel so loved you know I just felt so loved and you know he shares stories about his mom and dad and his mom and his parents weren't very affectionate or vocal about their love um but he said you know he felt the love through 
his mom's cooking. And, you know, he was side by side her, you know, cooking in the kitchen and learning recipes and, and just always cooking. I never did get to meet my grandma who I'm named after, but I feel her through my dad and even through this whole journey. I mean, it's just been really beautiful. And so that's why it makes me tear up because, you know, I thought I was going to give up and my dad's like, nope, you're not. You know, you're you're going to make this come to life. Maria Rangel, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm, I'm glad I got to share, you know, a little bit of our story. And here's what else is happening in Denver today. The ski resort titan behind the Epic Pass, Vail Resorts, announced Monday that it is increasing its minimum wage by 25% to $20 per hour. A few weeks ago, I interviewed Colorado Sun reporter Jason Blevins about the skiing community's outrage with Vail Resorts over long lift lines this winter. After Monday's announcement, he reported that the raise is part of a $175 million annual investment to help fix the problem. They're spending more on benefits, career development, and even staff housing, too. I don't know how much of a difference all that will make, but I hope it makes Colorado's mountain towns a little bit nicer places to ski and live. And here's something really sweet. The Clifford Still Museum's latest exhibit was curated by kids. According to Denverite, museum staff worked with more than 250 kids as young as six months old to pick pieces from the museum's archive and even help with the marketing. Now, what did a bunch of kids see in the famed abstract expressionist's work? Well, one second grader named Lydia said that one painting she saw looked like a yellow storm. And now I want to see it too. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell a friend about us, rate the show wherever you get your podcasts, and subscribe to our morning newsletter, where today I'm talking about the demise of the Smiley's Laundromat building. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye. Oh, why did I write this mouthful of words.